This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This is the Colorado Hunting Hub Podcast, where we cover hunting in the West, but mostly hunting in the destination state of Colorado. You'll find information that will help you plan, prepare, and motivate you for your hunt, but also keep you updated on happenings in the Western hunting world. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Everyone, thanks for listening to Colorado Hunting Hub. So, YouTube got me, uh, or Blake Shelton got me. Uh, my intro song and exit song, intro song's good, but YouTube, uh, claim day, copyright claim. So working on getting rid of the end credit sound there song, trying to shorten it up because that one was over 10 seconds. So, uh, got a little problem there. got to deal with that. So if you're listening on YouTube, bear with me, I'm trying to get that song muted and everything else from now on will be fixed and dealt with so figured they'd get me eventually but i like the song so wanted to keep it mentioned a while back that i was going to be going down the traditional route and adding that to my shooting repertoire so that's a little on hold i've been kind of saving up some money i sold my old bow uh sell some random things on facebook kind of thing just as a i'm going to do it as in the most feasible way possible as kind of a realistic like way of getting into something got to get rid of a few things to to get it and i didn't want to just use some use some money that i could dig up i wanted to do this as a complete fundraised like process internally fundraised process so that is still in the works have the money to do it now but it seems a little irresponsible if i'm going to order it and it's just going to sit there because season or the season's right here i don't know if now's the time to really do that so we're just going to put that on hold for a few weeks maybe a month and i'll come back to that in maybe october and then we'll uh, get rolling with that because even when it's cold out i bet i just need to shoot 
10 yards, 20 yards at a time. So I uh, don't need a big old range outside. I can figure something out in the garage or whatever. So that'll work. But this is uh, last week and a half or so before we got the season, 12 days, I believe, as of now, before we hit archery elk season here in Colorado, getting real and getting things together, making plans. I've gotten my dates. I'm actually going to be headed out on opening morning or the day before and be there opening morning saying looks like I can do a full week in the back country. So I'll have to do a little recording and get that scheduled to drop middle of the week while I'm out. <clears throat> See if we can't record a little bit while we're out, uh, taking an afternoon nap or doing something, uh, where there's no activity. We'll get, uh, hunting buddy on or something and do a little, little episode out in the field with what we're learning, what, uh, unless we kill right away in the morning, that'll be a problem. I won't record anything cause we'll be busy. So that's, that's approaching. I posted a couple pictures of some of those last minute purchases I made. Um, uh, stopped by Cabela's those dehydrated meals I got, who knows if they're any good, <laughs> some brand I've never heard of, but I'm not picky and I needed a few more and I'm a little bit of a cheapskate. So I needed a couple there and a uh, long handled spoon by seeing some see to summit that one uh heard about finally needed to just break down and get it and then my big agnes stuff came so i'm pretty excited about that that was kind of the last big thing that we needed to execute this trip and so i started breaking it out and i don't want to just uh take it out and just assume it's all good i got some I got some work to do with all this. So I ended up with the Copper Spur HVUL Mountain Glow. It's a three-person tent. This one is a little heavier duty and meant to handle a snow load. I'm going to wait on this one until third season or so. Yeah, that's kind of the plan on that one. But the thing only weighs like four pounds still. So I put it on my scale and was pretty amazed by that. So now I got one that's a little bit better for a little later season kind of excited about that and then the uh onyx o-n-y-x backpacking tarp carbon oh my gosh the tarp weighs uh eight ounces and then the footprint that i got for it uh weighs a pound so for under two pounds i've got a pretty lightweight nice setup with a footprint and a um tarp over top and it's just going to sleep underneath that so i've got got protection from the ground protection from above and it's big enough it's going to work fine i use my trekking poles for the the ends and then it comes with the little stabilizer or a spreader uh bar made by easton i thought that was kind of cool easton arrows uh making you can tell it's made by the, an arrow company they make a super lightweight little support for the middle to spread out the middle so it's a a frame or you can do some other things with it uh, I'm not going to be using it for some of these other things, but it's possible if you need some shade to process, uh, cause it's super hot or, um, you needed a little glassing cover or you get caught. I'll bring it with me for the middle of the day, just in case we get caught under some rainstorm. But so far Colorado's dry as can be and half of it's on fire. They also sent me a couple of stools, some skyline ultralight series, little chairs, they're a pound a piece. Really wasn't planning on bringing them in, but set them up yesterday and kind of nice. And if you're a week in the back country, 
and uh you don't have a you don't sit down somewhere that's one of those weird things you miss just would like to sit down and so i'm excited about maybe bringing those in we'll kind of see i gotta check trail cameras in the next week and i maybe when i dump a uh some water in there and maybe the the tents and shelters will bring maybe i'll bring the chairs in who knows we'll see it's more stuff i'm more worried about the pack out than the pack in so the other things uh that make sure i'm geared up on is my wilderness athlete you can still get that ordered and i've got deals for you there uh, make sure you're getting your onyx maps all prepped that needs to happen make sure those maps are downloaded uh, I've got episodes on those episode 11 and 36 you need to go check out because Dylan gave us a good tip of doing the whole like half of the state and then in the less detail and then downloading the uh, little pieces that you're going to go in detail. So that was a good tip and I need to still do that, but get your Onyx maps all set up. And then if you need a good hunting hat, I went on a shed hunting trip one day and I forgot a hat. It was miserable. So check out branded bills and we got a coupon code for that as well. Other things that I'm doing right now, just get ready in the final week. Packing. That's kind of the fun, fun part. Packing and some, we're getting down to more of the food prep. Pulled out a bunch of goose, mountain goat, and elk meat. Gonna make some jerky maybe this weekend and get that all prepped for the season. I'm just gonna do one big batch and I got enough for the season. I'll uh, vacuum seal it and put it in the freezer, and even though I think it'd be good. Uh, but I'm gonna just do that, keep it fresh. And uh, it's still uh, working on the call in a little bit. Haven't been doing a ton, but this is on the way to work today. Uh, really messed around with the diaphragm calls and a new estrus call I bought from Phelps. Pretty nice stuff. Uh, I didn't switch to diaphragm calls really until last year. And I tell you what, that's the way to go. They sound so much more pure and crisp and I'm not a great caller, but people complain about that having a gag reflex or something. They can't handle those diaphragms in their mouth or they just can't figure those out. That's why you got to have them in your mouth for a while and play with them. And if you played a band instrument in, in uh, high school, that probably helped. Uh, I, I don't seem to have a problem making a sound and making a halfway decent sound. Not the best, I wouldn't say, but I've got it kind of figured out where you can just manipulate your tongue and do some different things in the pressure. I always had that issue with like that airy sound, every all that air pushing past the reed. That's because I was trying to force the diaphragm to the roof of my mouth. And I found that if I just relax that a little bit and allow that air to that's pressing forward to press that reed to the top of my mouth and then be more gentle with my tongue on the reed, it works way better. And also I try not to get it way back. It fits a little bit better back in my mouth, but the forward, more forward in my mouth is a little bit better sounding I've noticed. But with that in a bugle tube, I tell you what, that sound is, is pretty stellar. So I, I've ditched the Phelps uh, bugle tube and going with the Wayne Carlton one because it weighs half as much. So that's what I'm going to roll with. And then the shooting's still happening, uh, getting getting a few arrows in here and there, just making sure I'm feeling good. Uh, things are good there. I feel good with my setup and just getting that stuff packed up. And the only thing i got to figure out is the day I'm going in and check trail cameras. And boy, am I excited. I can't wait to see what's on there. 
the other things that uh, myself and my hunting buddy have been talking about is our hunting strategy, what we're doing, where we're going. And we haven't had rain for a while. So when I go in here, check cameras, I'm going to check for water because I'm nervous about that. See if our spring is dried up where I get water. Got to make plans there and I'm going to haul some in anyway. So we'll have a little stash. Other things we're focusing on is we're both kind of aggressive hunters and I have been a firm believer in bugling. There's a lot of folks out there that, that, uh, can't stand other, other hunters that are bugling. I get that. That's fair. Uh, but I found some good success with it and that bugling and mixed with cow calls. It works. It worked really well last year. Uh, worked opening day. It worked at the end of the se- at end of the season. Uh, but being aggressive and just finding a bull that wants to play it seems to work. Listen to Remy Warren's last couple of episodes, uh, podcast episodes. He's got some really good things there on Colin Elk and his strategies kind of jive with mine. And that dude's a that dude's a hunter. So if you want to learn something uh, else, check on check his stuff. I wanted to highlight a couple of past episodes because now now episode 43, this one is, and some of you I'm sure have not listened to all of, most of you haven't listened to all of them. So a couple of highlights I want you to direct you back to that'd be good for the upcoming season. So starting way back episode 11 and 36, I did an Onyx hunt app or, um, kind of episode. The first one is kind of introducing it. The second one is a complete walkthrough. That is a must listen to uh, for figuring out how to use, utilize your Onyx tools to the most. Uh, you could probably still get an Excel pack in time if you ask them to ship it quickly. Uh, that was episode 20. Check them out. Wilderness Athlete, I know we'll get you your stuff in time. You just need to reach out to them saying when you need it. So that's episode 21. If by chance you drew a mountain goat tag, uh, episode 23. That's that's That was my hunt. And then this is one I think a lot of you should check out. There's episodes 26 to 29. That's the region outlook. So one of those episodes is the region you're going to be hunting in. I'd check that out and give it a listen. Episode 31, physical fitness, almost too late, unless you're hunting a little later. Uh, Episode 32 with some shooting preparation. Again on that, almost too late, but uh, better than going in cold. Episode 33 was my gear rundown. And there I have a spreadsheet with all of my gear lists that I continue to use. And I put not just a list. There is alternatives, there's cheaper options, there's whatever. There's all kinds of things on there. Check it out. And then episode 35 is bear hunting. I had a question on that yesterday. Go check that out. Episode 37 is trail cameras. Again, almost too late for that unless you're hunting rifle seasons. Uh, camping gear, episode 38. You can, uh, Big Agnes sent this stuff like two days ago, and it got here pretty quick. So if you're letting them know what days you need it by, they... They ship stuff pretty quick, and I bet they can work with you. Episode 39 was a Colorado Parks and Wildlife update. Episode 41 is taxidermy prep. That's a listen, must-listen-to thing for uh, if you have any desire to put anything on your wall, give that a listen. 42 was shooting help with CPW, and then 43 was with the Game Warden last week with rules and reminders and that sort of thing. So check those out. So moving on. I have been picking up a couple of tags. I told you way back when all I had was a cow tag currently, and now uh, I've managed to get a uh, 
I will, I got to buy my over-the-counter archery elk still. Uh, I picked up a, that drew my late season cow. The, uh, what's next? Nothing. I'm still working on an antelope tag, hoping on something there. But for deer, I picked up a late season doe tag on some private land, which would be kind of fun uh, for December and January, just to sneak up on one with my bow. And then a deer tag out on the front range. Total Hail Mary. Something popped up on the leftover list that took three points uh, up in Sedgwick County, way up there. Uh, Don't know anything about it. Not a ton of public land, but there is some. So I've got some figuring out to do with that one, Unit 93. So that was kind of cool. And it's a December 1st to the 15th. So I'm excited about that. Hopefully it'll be a, I mean, I don't, I don't even know what's all there. I'm sure whitetail and mule deer, but that's going to be a complete learning experience for me. And some of those fun, fun hunts are those like brand new, just show up to an area or do some research ahead of time and show up to an area and have a good time. So that'll be probably one of those. And then, yeah, that's it. Uh, but I wanted to kind of share that there's still opportunities to get tags. Uh, if you're quick on the draw and you pay attention to the leftover list, there's there's tags hitting that all the time. And tags that take zero to three or four points on there. There's some solid, solid tags that are hitting. And then a lot of people, it seems like, are turning tags in uh, for the units that are on fire, which is fair, but I got a buddy with his tag and he's not worried in that tag. There's still plenty of deer in the area. The deer didn't go there, maybe pushed around, but they're, they're there. So, uh, pay attention to that. There's tags that hit the list every single day, every single day since the, uh, um, since that list came out, there's been stuff being posted. Maybe one day didn't, I can't, I can't remember. But uh, still options to get some tags. Just want to remind you again, also still running the Onyx giveaway. Congrats to AJ. I sent his membership over from last month. And then I've had a little bit of a social media hiatus. Antler buying has been in full swing. Uh, Holy smokes, I got hundreds and hundreds of pounds of antlers and processing those and getting those out the door. And then we also purchased a whole lot of mounts. So uh, we created a face a website. So if you're interested in any mounts, anywhere from sailfish, marlin to uh, African mounts, North American mounts, whatever, I've got a, a page with all of those on there. And if collecting taxidermy is your thing or you want to buy some big antlers or whatever, uh, it's on there. Check it out. It's been fun. I, I, that's been a fun little deal and, and a side little good side gig. Another way you can help is make sure you give me a good rating on iTunes and subscribe, but also get in contact with me with me and give me some input and things you want to hear. So 17 minutes in, and we're going to finally hit this episode. This one is kind of on some, and is on non-resident hunters. Some of the stereotypes. This was a listener requested episode and just wanted to talk a little bit about that. How many of you have hunted a different state? How many of you have complained about an out-of-state hunter? Now, I may turn some of you off right here, but I'm going to advocate for the non-resident hunter. I apologize if that, uh, actually, I don't apologize if that that offends you in any way, uh, because 
it does some really good things. <laughs> and we'll kind of dive into that. I pulled up some stats um, and we'll chat about that. But here's some comments. When I first heard about this listener requested episode, uh, I reached out to a Facebook group actually called Non-Resident Big Game Hunters. And here's kind of some of the things that they said. So if you're coming into an area and you're wanting to hunt some public land, talk to the ranchers, create a uh, relationship with them and offer maybe to do a little work. Maybe you can come out in the summertime, do a little, fix some fence and do some, some things like that. Spray some weeds. Guarantee you they'd let you spray some weeds. Uh, but there's, there's an opportunity. You're not necessarily going to create a relationship by going prairie dog hunting. Maybe, maybe it's trapping their predators. Who knows? But uh, maybe trying to create that relationship and that's one step as a non-resident hunter that could could benefit you. The next comment I heard from that page was, we're all hunters and we have too small of a group to be divided. Look at the fly fishermen and spin casters. That little feud is annoying. <laughs> or bow hunters versus muzzleloaders. We're all hunters, but we're a small, small population of the people. And there's no room for division in that. Uh, I live right on the border of the... Eastern count, or I used to, the Eastern count versus the Western count when looking at whitetails and do you call it a four by four or an eight point? Is that really something that we need to really argue? Uh, not really. It, it doesn't, do we know what each other's talking about? For the most part, yeah. Uh, it, it's just a geographical thing and it's okay that there's a little difference there. So having those disputes and those differences among the same sportsmen are probably not worth our time. Another comment that uh, I thought was kind of funny from that group was they said, there's no way a local could do that. <laughs> when you're out in the field and you see something stupid or somebody do something stupid, you just assume that that person's from California or Texas or Iowa. I don't know. I'm just saying some states. But, and there's no way a local would do something like that. Eh, come on. Eh, that not necessarily can be true. There's bad hunters in every single state. Even in Colorado, there are bad hunters. It's just that Colorado is one of the most popular Western states and attracts a lot of non-residents. Due to the fact that we have over-the-counter, over-the-counter options, also are non-resident allocations, and I'll speak to that in just a little bit. But we're all hunters, and I don't know if that's worth getting after some, or treating someone a little differently because they're hunting from a, came from a different state to hunt our state. And some of those stereotypes that come up is around uh, these people are just looking for shortcuts and honey holes. Um, I'm, I'm hunting as a non-resident this year in South Dakota. And I'm not, I, I've called a game warden in the past and chatted with him, but I'm not posting on any groups, looking for any secrets or anything like that. I've just kind of paid attention to it. May have asked a question or two. I don't know, but not really diving out there trying to find anybody's honey hole. Yes, that can be sometimes that's one of those people uh, that is contributing, but that's in every state. Every state, there's somebody doing that looking looking for an easy way out and finding somebody's hunting hole. 
other stereotypes is that those people may not care about that terrain. Uh, and so they give, they leave their garbage. They do make a mess. I guarantee you there's plenty of local hunters doing that. If you drive uh, and here's proof, if you drive up onto some public land outside of parachute Colorado or any, the public land that's just outside of any town, you're going to find mattresses, garbage, TVs, all of that. I bet you 90%, if not more of that, almost a hundred percent of that garbage is not from non-residents coming in and leaving it. Why would a non-resident from Utah bring an old tube TV over to public land to shoot it and leave it there? I don't think that's worth the hauling of a TV. That may that that may happen. I don't know, but that I guarantee you, most of that is our garbage. The people that live here in this town or the town next door. So, again, there's bad hunters and non-ethical folks in every state and every town. So if you are an anti-non-resident, then I guess you should forget about the the funding and you are forgetting about the funding that they bring in. The license sales to the local economies, the small towns getting that business. It's unreal to see those big rigs coming from Wisconsin and filling the Walmart parking lots and spending money going to little restaurants. I've asked, answered questions from listeners. They ask, where do, where can we eat? Well, yeah, I'd love to send you to these three, four places, my favorite places to eat. And if they're in between hunts or on a weekend, they'd come to town, get some food. Well, that just boosts our local economy. And that's needed. They buy their gas. They stay in hotels. My little town of Silt sure could use that, a little little income from, from that re- revenue stream. So that's a benefit. And I emailed uh, one of my contacts from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, asked about some of the funds that come in. And I got some 2010 data. It's a little out of date, but the ratios are still the same, is what he said. So total big game license sold. And this is 10 years ago. I realize that's old, but the ratios are still correct, is what he said. So with elk, residents, 147,000, I'm going to round these numbers up, 147,000 license sold and 71,000 of them or 71,000 license are uh, non-resident. Holy smokes, just as we're talking here, a unit 11 third season deer tag hit the hit the uh, leftover list. My goodness, if I didn't have a deer tag, I'd be buying that one. That's on the border of unit 10. That's a great tag. (laughs) I don't know how many points it takes, but that's a great tag. Uh, So anyway, keep an eye on that leftover list. So there's obviously more residents hunting tags sent out than there are non-resident. But if you go over to the uh, revenue of that, residents are bringing in and this is 10-year-old data, $5,700. Non-residents are bringing in $32 million. We could not do what we do and without those non-residents. Non-residents are bringing in a majority of that money. money. And when you add other species, deer, pronghorn, moose, that totaled 10 years ago $45 million dollars 
total that was brought in, 37,000 of that was non-residents. And 30, what did I say? Uh, let me start over. 45 million was the total that was brought in by all hunters. 37 million was brought in by non-residents and 8 million was brought in by residents. That is a huge amount of money. And not quoting my source on this, but he said uh, he's heard somewhere around 54 million for the elk numbers these days. Uh, somewhere right around there. So those are not 100% accurate numbers, but a solid estimate. Um, but the ratios, again, again, he said, are still correct. So that is a serious amount of money that is coming in. And I've heard over and over again, Colorado Parks and Wildlife, but also many agencies that manage our wildlife don't have a ton of money and to do what they need to do. So without non-residents, we're screwed. That's a, there's a, there's a lot of money. That's just the license sales. That's not including the, uh, small, small town benefit, big town, large town benefit, whatever. That is just licensed revenue. So I can tell you what, that's gonna, uh, that's a lot of money spent. That's why it's a billion dollar industry. So please don't harass out of state hunters. If you're going to hunt out of state yourself, that is, makes it's so hypocritical. It's unreal. It doesn't even make sense. It's just weird that every hunting community in every state talks negatively about it. So maybe in a way to become more unified as hunters, even if it's archery hunters versus muzzleloaders or rifle versus archery or whatever, maybe a way to be more unified is to be more welcoming. And sure, I will admit I've complained about an out-of-state hunter at some point. So I'm being a hypocrite myself, but as I did research on this and ta- and talking about it, sure want to make sure that I'm I'm creating a welcoming environment for just about everyone because I hunt out of state as well. It just has too much negative impact. That divided community is not what we have time for, what we have effort for. That just doesn't make any sense for the mission we have as sportsmen and women. It'll slow the progress, and it'll allow antis to make their way in, divide us even further. We'll also lose support. If there's not a not good support from each sportsman's group, one is going to hurt. I just got an email from Colorado Boating Association. Go get your membership from them. Uh, they weren't able to do their banquets. They're hurting for money, so they're not doing one of their publications. Uh, Colorado Trapping Association, I know it's Colorado Predator Hunter and Trapping Association, they got less than 300 members. They need some help. And each one of those little groups is advocates for sportsmen, not just for trapping or just bow hunting. They're advocates for sportsmen and a voice uh, for you and I. So without that support, we're going we're gonna to have issues when things hit the ballots. One other completely different but similar topic it has to do with non-resident allocation of tags. And so I've had a guy, gentleman by the name of Seth reach out to me, a listener, and said, kind of just reached out with his research that he's done and that the allocation of tags is a little out of date. So I just want to share this. It is not a bash on non-resident allocations. It's just trying to get 
the some of the tags back into the hands of more of the not more into the residents. So it's not something that uh, it just needs to be updated. And non-residents are benefiting greatly from the system right now, and it's fine. Uh, but maybe we need to take a look at it and update it and become a little more in line with other states. So here's here's what Seth says. Attention Colorado residents, your voices need to be heard. I recently brought some questions concerned about current non-resident big game license allocations to the attention of the CPW Commission. The non-resident license allocation in the 2020 big game brochure reads, non-resident allocations are determined by the average number of preference points a Colorado resident needed to draw a specific license during a three-year period that ended with the 2009 drawing. Units with low numbers of available license may not have any remaining for non-residents after resident license are drawn. So number one, for elk and deer hunt codes that require six or more points for a Colorado resident to draw, up to 20% may go to non-residents. These hunts are designated in unit tables by a plus under the sex column. Number two, the hunt codes that require fewer than six points for a Colorado resident to draw an elk or license up to 35% may go to non-residents. Number three, non-resident allocation may increase if licenses remain after all Colorado resident first choice have drawn for that hunt code. Number four, license allocations do not apply to private land only in ranching for wildlife license. Number five, in a group of applications made up by both residents and non-residents, all non-residents in the group will count against the non-resident allocation. Okay, so that's what the big game brochure says. Seth continues saying, as a resident of Colorado, I find this extremely crazy to think that with the amount of resources and technology CPW has, that they are still using data from over a decade old uh, to determine non-resident license allocations. So much has changed since 2009. For example, the total number of non-residents that applied in the big game draw in 2009 was 79,000. In 2020, the number in of non-residents that applied was 108,000. That increased in that increase in non-resident applications alone should be more than enough information to update the allocation. But I plan to give you plenty more reasons that that an update to this allocation is long overdue. There have been numerous new elk and deer tags that have been added to the quota since the 2009 application allocation was put into effect, many of them being high demand quality tags taking six or more points from the time they became available to apply for. They all are currently stuck in the 35% non-resident pools. Some examples, uh, there's some uh, unit 61, 76, 66, 67, fourth season and first season. Uh, point creep obviously has become more of an issue in Colorado in the last decade with the amount of applicants increasing. Therefore, some tags that were in existence before 2009 didn't take six points or more preference points to draw, are now taking six points to draw, which is enough points to be in the 20% non-resident pool. They also are currently locked in the 35% pool, including some 76, 49, 44, unit 10, uh, deer tags and elk tags. They're these are just a few of the hunt codes that are under the incorrect allocation because of CPW using 11-year-old out-of-date data. By using the 
1819-20, big game, draw recaps. In just a couple hours, I've been able to locate all of the deer and elk codes that are currently giving too many tags to non-residents. The total tags, I got a call coming in. That doesn't help me read. The total tag numbers that are being issued incorrectly are currently 55 elk tags under 13 different hunt codes, as well as 24 deer tags under 24 different hunt codes. That is a grand total of 79 deer and elk tags under 37 hunt codes that are not being issued where they should be. So he creates a big old list. And you can look at that on iHunt. He's posted that. It is very important that the commission hears from many of us as possible, the more emails we can get sent out to them requesting that they update the non-resident license allocation, the better chance we have at getting resident tags back in resident hands. I've listed the email addresses of the commissioners below. Anyway, so uh, he posted this on iHunt, and there was some uh, complaining right away and harassing of him, but this dude did some research. And a lot of the allocation of tags is kind of confusing, and that's why I think it goes under the radar. Uh, but as a resident, it makes sense to be kind of similar to other states in uh, allocating in the same way. But again, the non-resident tags are what bring in the money. But you need to take care of your people first. So I hear the arguments all around. Uh, but what Seth found out is that uh, the commission was actually kind of interested and wanted to chat about it. And uh, this is pretty all new stuff. So he's, he's uh, gained some attention. And this may have, uh, could carry some weight. It's not just a, a complaint from somebody. And um, it was kind of sad to see a gentleman bring something up on I Hunt Colorado and get attacked right away that he's complaining and whining about things. So you non-residents that are listening, uh, it is what it is. And other states are, are following like a 10% non-resident pool, which is far more common. And you're not always going to be able to draw a tag every year. We still have over-the-counter options here. There's plenty of over-the-counter options. So there, I told him I would share that and I will allow you to do what you want with that. And finding our commissioner's email address is pretty easy. So, um, there's a, a little update on non-residents hunting and the allocation there, as well as an update just on treating non-residents the way you'd want to be treated if you're hunting out of state. So again, if you are hunting out of state, you have no room to complain about hunters and non-resident hunters in this state. If you are a resident and you do not hunt in other states and you just hunt our state, you still have no room to complain about non-resident hunters because of the amount of money they bring in. You just need to realize that there are bad hunters in each group, each state. And those bad hunters are going to leave their trash, whether they're resident or non-hunters, or they're going to be unethical and shoot from a road or do something not legal. So it's all of us. We just need to make sure we're being welcoming and, uh, uh, treating each other with some respect. So, thanks for listening, and we'll check in with you another day.